0: Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, we have just a few points this morning. Point number 1, right off the bat, is condemnation. So if you're taking notes, or if you have your little, you know, notes app open in your phone or whatever, uh, you can put down point number 1, condemnation. And this is something that pushes you away from Jesus, pushes you away from having a relationship with God. But in Romans 8, verse 1, it says, there is therefore... Now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, the word condemnation in the Greek actually means this, no damnatory sentence. No damnatory sentence. So it could be read, there is now no damnatory sentence for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. Now, interestingly, it doesn't say less condemnation. It says no condemnation, not less condemnation. You know, it wouldn't be one of those things like, you know, I've really improved in the whole area of condemnation because I went from the, the bottom of the barrel sort of like halfway up to the middle of the condemnation, you know, through Christ Jesus, you know, where, you know, my condemnation is just half as bad. You know, it's been a, been a real great improvement in the whole condemnation department. no it doesn't say less condemnation. It doesn't say a different condemnation. It says there is no condemnation. None whatsoever. Our condition because of Jesus hasn't just been improved, it has been transformed. And it's been transformed because of Jesus' involvement in our lives. Now, Ryan uh, made mention of last Sunday, where our Easter Sunday service, and then Monday nights, and there were many people that made professions of faith. They committed their life to Jesus. It was absolutely amazing. Those of you that invited friends, you know, they heard the gospel, and they, they gave their life to Jesus, and there's not a greater boost, I think, for the life of a church than when people invite people that don't know Jesus, and they put their faith in Him. I would really strongly encourage you to be involved with inviting people that don't know Jesus to come to church. But as, again, Ryan had mentioned in announcements, our Monday night service that, was follow, that followed Easter Sunday, and we had some amazing stories uh, that I'm aware of, at least a few of them, where you know one girl did walk off the street, so to speak, and saw the jumbotron, and there was a free event, and she ended up coming in and giving her life to Jesus. There was a girl that was invited by some friends who uh, was... ended up there on Monday nights and gave her life to Jesus. There was an Indian couple. Uh, It was funny too because I actually did their wedding a few years ago and it was a full-on Bollywood wedding. I wore the full gown. I had the shoes that little curled up at the end you know, and uh, the the, the linen pants and everything, and then, you know, we're we're all doing this kind of thing, you know, like that, and uh, it was absolutely amazing wedding, godly couple, love the Lord, uh, great, all-you-can-eat chicken tikka masala all evening, it was fantastic, it was up in LA, but anyway, I hadn't seen them for a couple years, great, great couple, uh, love the Lord, they invited uh, another couple, uh, another Indian couple, and they came to Monday nights, and that couple both gave their life, both of them gave their life to Jesus, and it was absolutely amazing. Um, and then the woman came from a Muslim background. And so that was even like more amazing, it seems, if you would even say that kind of a thing. But it was absolutely uh, awesome. And then there was one woman that left uh, the church with uh, left Monday nights with her friend. And she just said, you know, I feel such a peace, you know, tonight. And uh, she didn't come forward like the other ones did. But the next day, uh, uh, she was asked by the friend that invited her, well, did you give your life to Jesus? And she said, well, actually, yeah, I didn't come forward, but I gave my life to Jesus. And you know that's why I left with such peace. And so you hear these kind of things that are absolutely astounding how people can have their lives transformed by Jesus. This isn't a self-help program. This is something where God reaches into the deepest, most Intimate parts of who we are, and He makes us alive spiritually. He changes us, and that's why it says in Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all has been made new. So, everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus. They've not only been transformed into new creations, but their position has been completely and radically changed from being in a place of condemnation to a place where there's absolutely not one bit of condemnation ever. For those of us this morning that have put their faith in Jesus, there's no condemnation. In Jesus, we're not condemned. You will never be condemned, nor is it possible for you to ever be condemned, because you cannot be condemned. I don't know how else I can say it. I don't speak any other languages. It's like, that's it. You will never be condemned. Not a little bit, not a lot, nothing. There's no condemnation. Now, it doesn't say that we don't deserve condemnation because that's not the case at all. But because we are in Jesus, we are out of condemnation. And thank God for that. Which leads us to point number two this morning, conviction. Point number one, condemnation pushes you away from Jesus. Point number two, conviction pushes you away from sin. Now, there's a record of an occurrence in Jesus' life found in John chapter 8. If you guys can turn there, that would be great. Or you can listen on. John 8. Beginning in verse 3, it says, Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Well, first, I would like to draw your attention to the things that these men were saying concerning adultery. In Exodus 20, verse 14, it says, You shall not commit adultery. In Leviticus 20.10, the man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So this is what they're referencing, the, the Mosaic law. He's saying, Jesus, our law says that they should be put to death, but what do you say? Well, secondly, I like to draw out, where's the man in this situation? Have you ever wondered that? They bring the woman, they throw her at the feet of Jesus, but where's the guy? I mean, was this all a setup? Maybe the man was a religious leader. Who knows? But whatever the case may be, Jesus will revolutionize their way of thought. In John 8, verse 6, it says that, This they said to Jesus, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. And if you're thinking about this, what can Jesus do? The Pharisees think they have him trapped right where they want him. How so, might you ask? Well, they thought that Jesus only had two options. If he were to say, go ahead and stone her, that would mean losing the love of the people who believed Jesus was compassionate and furthermore, go against the Roman Empire who removed the Jews' right to capital punishment. The second option that they thought that Jesus had would be to say, say that he said to let her go would put himself in direct contradiction to the law of Moses. So there you have it. The catch-22... And you can only imagine the intensity of this situation where here this woman was, in front of Jesus, publicly exposed, humiliated, in front of everyone. So I'd like to ask you this question in light of what we're looking at in John. Have you ever been in a place of doing something wrong? Now, you don't need to raise your hand. It should be unanimous. I mean, you know it's wrong. You know. But you've been able to override your conscience somehow. And the Bible actually says it's like the searing of your conscience with a hot iron so that any bit of conscience telling you what you're doing is wrong, is dead or numb. Question number two will present, have you ever done something wrong and have it been made known publicly? Or have it happen in front of somebody that you looked up to? Or somebody that you looked up to witnessed it going down? Or they found out about it and there's such a shame that comes from that public knowledge of sin. I mean, it would be like if your mom you know, found out you did that, and she's like, oh, you know, like that kind of thing. Or, you know, the pastor saw you do something terrible. I mean, what, a, what shame. So now you see this woman here caught in the very act of adultery, thrown at the feet of Jesus in front of everybody. And if that weren't bad enough, maybe Jesus knew this woman. Maybe she attended some of his Bible studies, so to speak. Now what would he think of her? Maybe she'd have to leave the church. Move out of state because now all the people know about the sin. But what was Jesus' response? In John 8, verse 6, it says Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Jesus doesn't hear the voice of the accusers, he pays them no attention likewise Jesus doesn't accuse you nor does he accuse me nor is he swayed by Satan's accusations against us in verse 7 John 8 it says so when they continued asking him he raised himself up and said to them he who is without sin he who is without sin among all of you you cast the first stone at her and then again he stooped down and wrote on the ground I mean if I was there i had been like whoa did you hear that Wait, Jesus, that wasn't one of your two response options. Come on. It was either condemn or condone, and both were going to be wrong. Condemn her, lose popularity, and go against Rome. Condone her, go against God. In verse 9 it says, Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst." I mean, what was Jesus writing in the dirt? People have speculated, you know, about that for years. Did he write down, if you lust after a woman in your heart, it's the same as committing adultery as it's recorded in Matthew 5. I think personally it had to do with the issues of the men's hearts who were holding the stones ready to condemn a woman for something that they were guilty of. They brought a woman... Caught in sin to Jesus, not realizing that the same light that exposes adultery is actually the same light that exposes all sin. And so when Jesus raised Himself up and saw no one but the woman, He said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said in John 8, verse 11, Neither do I condemn you, Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. You see that condemnation will seek to push you away from Jesus. It will be the thing that maybe you're guilty of. You've done something that's wrong and and Satan will use the condemnation to, to push you further and further away from Jesus and that he's not interested in you. He doesn't love you. Look at all the mistakes you've made. Look how bad it is. Look what you've done. How could you? And seek to humiliate you and distance you from jesus pushing you away from jesus yet conviction the conviction of the holy spirit it doesn't push you away from jesus it pushes you away from sin hey this is wrong i'm not condemning you but don't do this anymore this is what leads to pain and suffering and emptiness this leads to the ramifications of sin which you don't want to experience it pushes you away from sin so condemnation separates us from the lord Conviction will draw us closer to Him. And in 1 John three nineteen through 20 this is the little epistle of John at the end of your Bible before the book of Revelation. In 1 John 3, it says, by, And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Because this morning, maybe some of you here are battling with guilt and you're battling with condemnation. Maybe you've come in here with a heavy heart and a heavy mind and you think, oh man, what have I done? I can't even step into church. Well, what we just read about this assurance from the Lord is that God knows everything about your past. Every sin that you've ever committed. He knows every sin that you will ever commit. He still sent Jesus to die for you. We have this assurance that God not only knows our past, He knows our present as well. Who you are in Christ, born again, a new creation. And not only does He know our past and our present, He knows our future. He knows who we will be when we are free from this mortal body and we are completely made then perfect in the image of Christ. So if you're battling this morning with the thoughts of your mind and the feelings of your heart that are condemning you, know that God is greater than even those things. Because you might understand, yes, I'm forgiven, but the way that you feel is unforgiven. In my heart and in my mind, I, I, I feel condemned. But God is greater than even those thoughts and those feelings because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. And that goes for every single one of us that have put our faith in the Lord because we do we're not perfect and we do have times where our past is thrown up in our face and we're reminded of the things that we've done and we might have even sinned this past week and done something unspeakable that we shouldn't have even done and we regret it and now we're condemned and now we're depressed and now we're discouraged and now we're disheartened and we think it's all because God is disappointed Listen, God's already aware of it. He already knows it. And if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Ephesians 5, 8, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. Walk as a follower of Jesus. This doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes, but you've got to understand that positionally, you are not under condemnation. And you will never be condemned ever, because of your faith in Jesus. And it says in verse 2 back in Romans 8, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. He became sin for us. And as we've been seeing, and if you haven't been to our midweek study yet, our house groups on Thursday, we're going through Galatians, we've been seeing that the law actually was a tutor. It showed us what was right. It showed us what was wrong. And it pointed us to Jesus, It showed us our need for a savior. It pointed out sin and pointed to Jesus for forgiveness of that sin. But it said here that the law was weak according to the flesh in that it couldn't empower me. The rules, the list of rules don't give you the power to keep them. Have you ever noticed that? That the power to keep rules has to come from somewhere else. The rules themselves don't empower you. It painted the picture, but it didn't provide the power. It showed you what was righteous, but didn't give you the power to live righteously. One commentator put it like this, and I like it. He says, Moses' law has right, but not might. Sin's law has might, but not right. And the law of the Spirit has both the right and the might. And that's exactly what happens when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That we're then able to live victoriously. But see, this happened and this was made possible because Jesus was without sin. And God made Him who was without sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So sin was condemned. This doesn't mean that God is no longer a righteous judge and that He doesn't judge sin because that would be a moral failure and we understand that God is perfect in all of His ways and that can't happen. But when Jesus took on the sins of the world, God was then able and He did righteously condemn sin. Yet, because that price was paid, and because the sin of us all was laid on jesus the righteous requirement of the law was met as jesus died for the sins of the world so in jesus i've been set free from the condemnation which again is a righteous condemnation but because i've sinned and deserved it but i've been set free from that i am not condemned so when my thoughts condemn me and my heart heart condemns me know that god is greater than those things now This is something to be very especially careful because sometimes you might feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which you know pushes you away from sin. We should have that as followers of Jesus where you shouldn't be comfortable in sin. You should feel the heavy hand of conviction on you when you're contemplating doing the wrong thing. That is something that pushes you away from sin. It doesn't push you away from God. Guilt and condemnation pushes you away from God because you committed the sin and now you feel distance from God because of your sin and now you are pushed further and further away and that's the end result of Satan's work is trying to keep you separated from God. So, with all that being said and understanding the difference between condemnation and conviction, understanding that the condemnation that is righteously given to sin was already was already given to jesus on that cross where he died on the uh, on the cross for the sins of the world and so this leads us to our third and final point this morning we looked at condemnation and how there is none we looked at conviction and how that's the work of the holy spirit and then thirdly and finally from our text in verse five i've entitled this third and final point get after it and this is how it plays out in verse five it says for those who live according to the flesh This is the sinful nature that we have. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. So think of it as the worst part of who you are. Uh, If you're new joining us, the flesh is the worst part of our nature, our sinful nature. For those who live according to the worst part of who they are, set their minds on the things that are the worst things for them. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, the reason why I... Put point number three is get after it, even though that's become cliche for a lot of different uh, scenarios. Uh, in the Greek language, it says in verse five, for those who live according. That phrase, or those two words coupled together, live according, actually means those who are after. Those who are after. And it makes perfect sense that the things that I'm getting after are the things that get my attention. You know, I got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. But with Jesus, now all of a sudden it turns into, I got my mind on my maker and my maker on my mind. All right, no, I'm just kidding. That's a no, so what I'm saying is that things change. And you probably only remember that one thing from this whole message today. But the thing is, is that the thing is, is that when I'm getting after the things of the Lord, my mind's concerned with the things of the Lord. When I'm getting after the things of the flesh, my mind's concerned with the things of the flesh. And that's what Paul's saying here. In verse 6, For to be carnally minded or worldly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And that's the kicker right there now, isn't it? It's impossible to be at peace with God and with yourself if you're living in sin. Not only will you be without the peace of God, you will be living without pleasing God. Our minds, our hearts can be concerned and consumed with so many different things. So many different things. The weight that we bear in our hearts and the thoughts that can riddle our minds can be overwhelming. They can cause us to be without peace. And thanks be to God. Verse 9 says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. See, our thought process will turn into a life process, in that our thoughts turn into our actions. And if I'm going after the things of this world, I'm going to be consumed with the things of this world in my mind. If I am pursuing the things of the Spirit and the things that please the Lord, then my thoughts and my attentions and my efforts, I am going to be consumed with the things that please the Lord. And there's no other way around it. Those are the scenarios. I'm consumed with the flesh because I'm pursuing the flesh. I'm consumed with the Spirit because I'm pursuing the Spirit. To be consumed with the things of the flesh is death. You know, maybe you're a driven person, and maybe you've been, maybe you have kind of that addictive personality, and you've experienced what it's like to be, you know, almost obsessively, uh, just obsessing an OCD sort of kind of with a certain thing, and, and you're just consumed by it. And it's something that's not good for you. It's detrimental to your walk with the Lord. It's hurting you, maybe even. And you wonder how. How did this happen? Why am I so consumed with these things and want these things? Because that which you get after gets your attention. If you're following after the things of the Lord, you're going to think, how can I be more like Jesus? How can I learn more of what He's like so that I can grow in my relationship with God? But it says, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God, verse 9, John 8, dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not His. So if you have faith in in Jesus, you belong to God. You have the Holy Spirit. And because you're in Jesus, because the price has been paid, there is no condemnation for you. There is nothing that can separate you from the love that is in Christ Jesus. But equally and oppositely, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you do not belong to God. But see, we can all choose to whom we belong. Will you choose to go after the things of the Spirit which bring life, or will you choose to get after the things of the flesh which bring death? And it's amazing that even coming on the heels, as we conclude our service this morning, on, on the heels of Easter Sunday, last Sunday, that verse 10 would be the and eleven would be the verses that we close with. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So do you know who you are in Jesus? Do you know who you are in Christ? The the, the good deeds don't empower you to do good deeds. The Holy Spirit is the only thing that empowers us to live righteously before God. If you're here and you're feeling condemned, listen, the condemnation will push you away and separate you eternally from Jesus Christ. But if you put your faith in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. You are now made right in the sight of God. And then you'll be under the influence of the Holy Spirit convicting you, which is instead of pushing you away from, <clears throat> from Jesus, will be pushing you away from sin. And that's what we want. And so what are you getting after? What are the things that consume you that are always on your mind? What are the things where your mind just drifts to right there? Think about it. Are you pursuing the things of the Holy Spirit and having your thoughts consumed with that? Or are you pursuing the things of the flesh and having your thoughts consumed by that, which leads to death? Something for us to think about. We have some encouragement in that there's no condemnation. We have some teaching in that if we follow the things of the Spirit, we'll be consumed in our thought process with the things of the Spirit. And if we follow the things of the flesh, we'll be consumed with our thoughts of the flesh. And then we also have some exhortation and some pretty serious stuff and that, hey, if you do not have, the fa- have faith in Jesus and you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you do not belong to God. So we have a real nice group of things that are grouped together here in this passage of Scripture for us to think about. If you're condemned, God's greater than your thoughts. He's greater than your heart. His word's greater. And he says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'd encourage you this week, spend some time with the Lord. The more you do that, the more you're going to want to do it. Some of you are like, man, it's so hard to read the Bible or it's so hard to pray. It is. In the flesh, it is very hard. But the more you do something, the more you're going to want to do it. The more you pray, the more you're going to want to pray. The more you read the Bible, the more you're going to want to read the Bible. And it's the way that it plays out. It's just the way that it is and there's no way around it. So find yourself this week getting into that habit where you know what, I'm going to pursue the things of the Holy Spirit and as I'm pursuing the things of the Lord, watch how your mind changes. Watch how your thoughts that used to drift off into sinful things or, or, or things that would be discouraging or condemning, watch how now you're lifted up. Watch how you're renewed. Watch how you're transformed. And watch how you live victoriously following after Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word, and we thank You, Father, for sending Your Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of Your glory. There is none righteous, no, not one. Lord, we make mistakes and we have sinned. We have done things that are wrong. We acknowledge that today. We confess that sin to you and ask that you would please forgive us. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit today. Help us, Lord. I pray for those that have been battling with guilt from things in their past, condemnation from the enemy, Lord, that they be set free today, now in the name of Jesus, this very moment. Lord, that they would take every thought into captivity and subject it to the lordship of Jesus in their life because, Lord, you're greater than their thoughts. You're greater than their hearts. You're greater than their emotions. We stand upon the facts found in your word, not the feelings found in ourselves. And so, Lord, we ask that you would please bless us as your people as we, Lord, remember what Jesus did on the cross for us today. Lord, I ask that we would take of the cup and of the bread in a worthy manner. And with every eye closed and head bowed, if you're here this morning, very simply, maybe it's your first time, maybe you've come a couple times, or maybe it's been a long time since you've been to church, whatever the case may be for you. If you do not know Jesus personally, know that you do not belong to God. If you do know Jesus personally, then you are His. You're forgiven, you're cleansed, you're empowered. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus personally and you'd like to be forgiven of your sins, you'd like to have a new chance on life, a new relationship with God, then I'm going to ask very simply with every eye closed and head bowed, would you just raise your hand and say, yes, I'd like to give my life to Jesus today. I want to put my faith in Him. Would you just raise your hand up? And I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer of dedicating your life to Jesus. Would you hold your hand up? And then also, if you're here and you've walked away from the Lord, it's called backsliding. And you need to come back to the Lord today. Would you raise your hand as well? And if you're watching this online, if you're here in person, you can just pray this prayer after me and say, Dear Jesus, I know that I have sinned but I ask that you would forgive me of my sin and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died on the cross for me. And I thank you that you have forgiven me of all my sin. Would you fill me with your love and your joy and your peace and give me your strength that I may be who you've created me to be for I give you my life today. In Jesus' name.